Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And welcome back to another episode. Hey, Joel. I am. I just want to get this out before we even start, before I explain to you guys how this episode is going to go down. I'm sure you saw the news that Travis Scott has partnered with BetterHelp to offer free mental health services for one month to anybody that was traumatized or impacted by the tragedy at World. And this kind of came out while we were recording Monday's episode. It wasn't really fully clear to us. And after we kind of read more about it and understood what was going on, it just did not sit right with us. I think the second we really heard that this was a formal partnership, we had a very similar reaction to a lot of you. Obviously, BetterHelp is one of our sponsors, has been one of our sponsors. And it was just the kind of thing where immediately we emailed our podcast network and just basically said, we don't feel comfortable with this. So we have pulled all active sponsorship with them and cut ties going forward. So I just wanted to like address that before we even began because you know I know that their founder and president came out saying that Travis's team approached them and Travis isn't profiting from it but there's just a lot of things within it that I don't think either of us subscribe to Isabel either it just felt like a little bit of an integrity issue and that's not something that we feel comfortable being associated with so just wanted to let everybody know that I know you know that was our first thought then of course we got a lot of DMs and I would hope people would give us a little more faith in that and know that it's something we would take on ourselves. But it just feels eerie. And I just wanted to let everyone know that, that we have done that all previous sponsorships and going forward. And it's just not something that we will be working with. Although please, if you have other suggestions for companies that online platforms, I should say that help people with mental health services, we are all ears and would love to advertise for them because I do feel really passionate in general about that. I just do not like the way that this went down and it's not something that we want to be associated with. So just want to get that out. Do you think I presented that well, Jewel? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So this episode is 
kind of like a medley. It's bizarre. I don't think we've ever done anything even remotely like it, but basically what we're doing is a little bit of an update for Monday, a little bit of news. And then we're cutting to mine and Isabel's winter house segment, which was a recap that we recorded tonight because we released the Bravo episode early to get up the Salt Lake City segment. So there's just like a lot of moving parts here. I also, one housekeeping note, want to mention that I said this on Bravo, but we are technically off next week. We may come on Monday for a little bit just to talk about Salt Lake City because I think we're going to feel like we need to or we'll combust, but we are off next week. We're working the week of Thanksgiving. So for the rest of this year, we're only off this coming week. And then of course, obviously in between Christmas and New Year's, but just wanted to give everyone that heads up. And is there anything else I am missing? I think that's it. Okay. So, you know, obviously we talked at length on Monday's episode about the Astroworld tragedy. And since then, kind of as we were saying, you know, the dust has been settling. And I guess the best way that I can put it in terms of my view on it is that if anything, it is only worse than what was kind of anticipated. Yeah. I think kind of what we were expecting where new details are emerging and more people's accounts are coming out. And obviously you have people who are in the hospital who are suffering and there's a lot of people in that position who it looks just not good for. So it's just, it's a very, very bad and awful situation all around. It's maddening. I mean, it's just so maddening. And, and we were looking, you know, there doesn't seem to be right now, at least at the time that we're recording this one kind of comprehensive place, which is at least that we feel comfortable enough vetted to donate to. So what we're going to do is going to put the link in the description of just various verified GoFundMes for victims that we have found. If you have other good suggestions, feel free to share them. Uh, We were talking on Monday kind of about how you can possibly wrap your head around this because it's completely inexcusable, completely avoidable, and Travis and his team are completely to blame. And this Rolling Stone article came out that I think we found to be almost helpful in understanding, not at all justifying, obviously there's no justification, but almost trying to understand how this could happen from like Travis's side in the sense of how does one create this toxic of an environment? You know what I mean? Right, exactly. We put together literally two and a half paragraphs. I'm going to put the link in the description, but I definitely think it's worthy of the read. And if not, just listen to these two because I think you may have that same aha moment that we had. It's titled, The Travis Scott Brand Wasn't Built for This by Jeffy Haza. Part of Scott's appeal has been a mainstream repackaging of punk rock's underground ethos. His concerts are notorious for aggressive mosh pits, which are often egged on by the rapper himself. Except, unlike the punk and hardcore scenes where mosh pits thrive, the rage Scott encourages at his show is ultimately hollow. It's why many first-hand accounts of the events at Astroworld describe an audience seemingly unconcerned with humanity. In videos, you can see attendees dancing on top of ambulance trucks in the crowd. None of it seemed real, and why would it? It isn't surprising that Scott kept performing, or, as has been reported, continued to encourage rowdy behavior well into a set. Travis Scott's brand, his empire, never required him to be an actual person. It's why, in the string of apologies the rapper posted since the tragedy unfolded, he can't seem to strike a genuinely compassionate tone. Like an employer accused of wrongdoing, every response is a telltale markers of corporate damage control. In addition to covering funeral expenses for those who passed away at the festival, Scott announced a partnership with the app BetterHelp to offer free counseling for anyone traumatized by the experience. Even in the face of tragedy, Scott's response is another corporate collaboration. It reveals a fundamental flaw in the rapper's multi-million dollar brand. 
No one comes to Travis Scott for a deeply cultivated community of fans that care for one another. They come for hype, for the chance to get a pair of sneakers that will quadruple in value over the course of a few months, for a chance to be front row at a social media worthy experience. After the tragic and avoidable events of Astroworld, it will be an almost impossible sell. I just found this to be a really interesting take and one that I hadn't necessarily heard or considered before. And to me, my view of that, based on what we've seen and really from the accounts of people there, it feels very accurate. Yeah, that's really what my understanding of as well. I mean, I'm still struggling to get that full scope of everything that happened, but I think this article kind of helps in terms of not only the environment that Travis kind of set up, but also the way in which his fans and the people at his concerts relate to him and react to him and and what that has created as a result. You know, I was thinking about this, Julie. Remember, it's like one or two years ago when his documentary came out and we talked about it. And in it, there was a part where he was talking about kind of trying to eliminate the security between him and his fans. I don't remember exactly what the quote was, but I remember, you know, we watched it and we spoke about it. And I'm thinking back at the time, I think that I actually, both of us, I probably viewed that almost as a positive because it really did feel like a play at connectivity with his fans. You know, I'm not better than you. Security is not something that's going to stand in our way. And it was presented in a way that was really favorable and almost endearing. And clearly that was such a flawed mindset. And I almost feel stupid for like falling into it, but it just goes to show how even that mindset is really twisted because it, it takes away the core of the issue, which is security isn't just there to protect the artist. Security is there to protect everybody in the crowd. And that's the part that seemed to be so missing from the equation. Right. And that's kind of part of the conversation that we were also having on Monday's episode. I mean, I think in terms of what Travis thought he was accomplishing in terms of the undermining of security and getting rid of those barriers between artist and fan is, again, something that he saw as only a positive. And I think up until this event, most of his fans felt that way as well. Clearly, there was something there that worked because he does have a very, very strong fan base, or he did um, maybe prior to this, have a very strong and devoted fan base. And so... Obviously, there was something that he was taking away as a positive from that. The fact of the matter is, is that to not see that as dangerous and not to see the potential risk to your fans is just an inherently selfish act. To create an environment where you're putting everyone at risk just for the sake of how you want to be perceived is inherently flawed. Right, right, exactly. And the way that the narrative was spun as a way to make it not only a sense of connectivity, but also, and I said this on Monday, but I really think it's so accurate, a sense of invincibility. That's what's so, to me, what's really concerning about this, the God complex that was so clearly prominent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, so, I mean, we spoke about this at length on Monday. This is heartbreaking. I can't stress enough how all of the anger is warranted. And like I said, we're doing our best to compile the links to the GoFundMes that we found were vetted. We're going to put those in the description. And like I said, our hearts are just with all of the victims, the families of the victims. And more than that, you know, on top of that, anybody who was traumatized at all as a result of that. Yeah. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who 
know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. You ever think we'd be sitting here talking about Paul Rudd's Sexiest Man Alive? I kind of hoped so. I hope so. I just don't know if I ever thought it was going to happen, but I'm very elated to see the public response to this one. You know, it's interesting. I think that Paul Rudd may be one of the most lovable people alive or one of the most lovable celebrities for sure. I've personally never heard a bad word said about Paul Rudd. And I think that when you take sexiest man alive for people, somebody who has been talked about, especially over the last year, I feel like, and a lot on TikTok in terms of having sex appeal, but also in terms of being so unbelievably funny and likable, that is the ultimate combination for sexiest man alive. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I'll put it like this. We have come a long way from the absolute public outrage to the 2017 Blake Shelton award. Well, that was warranted, the outrage. (laughs) Like, do you remember what that was like, though? I feel like people were about to take to the streets. It it was so confusing because something I find with what people does with Sexiest Man Alive sometimes is that they kind of give it based on hype in terms of like, okay, who's the person that's really at the height of conversation right now? For example, like, was John Legend necessarily the sexiest man alive? No, but he was so in the conversation at the time and so prevalent and also like had sex appeal based on what, you know, people kind of set it up to be. Blake Shellen, I don't even feel like was that level of conversation. It was just like so randomly given to him. Well, we have them listed here and I would like to just read down the list. This is the last 11 years in order, right? Ryan Reynolds, Bradley Cooper, Channing Tatum, Adam Levine, Chris Hemsworth, David Beckham, The Rock, Blake Shelton, Idris Elba, John Legend, Michael B. Jordan, and now in 2021, Paul Rudd. Okay, this is a game for you, but also for everybody listening. Out of that list, I'm going to ask you two questions. You're, are you looking at the screen? Yeah, I'm looking at it. Okay, the first is who for you personally, forget like what you think the public would think or who had the hype. I'm talking literally strictly you, Julie Kramer, sexual attraction wise, who was the most warranted? And then who was the one where you're like, I don't get it for me personally, but like, I so get it. So most warranted was Michael B. Jordan. 
I guess The Rock would be the only other person on there and where I would say, because, like, obviously we already decided, like, it, Blake Shelton was just not part of the conversation in terms of, like, it's not for me, but I get it. Yeah, I would say The Rock. Okay, so for me, Michael B. Jordan. Oh, or done. actually Adam Levine. Mine, that's what I was going to say. Mine was going to be top two, Michael B. Jordan and David Beckham. Like, I think just make the most sense. I think The Rock, I get, like, personally for me, just because he's so fucking massive. Like, talk about a guy that can just throw you on bed. I think probably Adam Levine, because, like, it's so not my vibe, but I know that it must be a vibe enough if this many people think so. You know what I mean? I would put Bradley Cooper over David Beckham for my, like, my list. Interesting. I mean, same, but not necessarily for sexiest man alive. I don't know. To me, David Beckham is just synonymous with sex appeal. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. It's so crazy to me. And I know this has been a conversation that's been having a lot since it went to Paul Rudd, because I think a lot of people expected it to be Chris Evans, but I still can't believe he's not on this list. No, it's a travesty, but it'll only make it sweeter once it happens. Right. I think next year. I think ne- if he, I'll put it like this, if he continues on the track that he's on in terms of public admiration, which it seems that he will, I think he's fucking a shoe in Did Harry Styles turn it down? I'm not asking that as like, oh, I heard a rumor. I'm just like asking, like, do you think that they offered it to him and he turned it down? Because quite frankly, he really should be sexiest man alive too. Well, I think that he has a few years. Like, I, I think he'll get it probably in a few years or, or you know, maybe like right after Chris Evans is an age thing. But wait. Okay. Also, hold on. I will save my other thought in a second. You know who else is in the running? In my opinion, you're so going to fucking agree with this. Who? Giveon. Oh my God. I mean, that was an amazing call. He wouldn't get it. I feel like just based on seniority, but if you're going based on looks alone, yeah, he, he probably deserves it. So hot. What I was going to say, my thought a moment ago, do not let me forget it, was... Oh, with Harry Styles. Wait, we posted the Paul Rudd one today and somebody <laughs> responds like, wait, did Michael B. Jordan die? <laughs> <laughs> that was probably like, no, he just got it last year. You can't get it two years in a row. You know what? If I was people, I would have just given it to Pete Davidson to watch the world burn. <laughs> I know. The thing with people is like, even though everybody clowns on this situation, they weirdly do have so much power with it because it's the thing that everybody's going to be talking about for at least the next like four days. Like you have the world by the balls in terms of pop culture. I have to say though, even though we are having this conversation about like who else it could have been or who it should have been, whatever. I, I want to just reiterate the fact that I am so happy that it's Paul Rudd. And I so agree with that statement. Oh, I'm thrilled. Don't get me wrong. I'm absolutely thrilled. I just like, it's so much fun to think about who else it could be slash will be. So much fun. This It's like one of my favorite activities, which is, it's actually a game we play kind of often, I feel like. I know. We also play like if they had the award for sexiest couple alive, which again, not to sound repetitive, you can look me, I dare you, look me in the eyes and tell me that Michael B. Jordan and Lori Harvey would not get that. I don't think that you can. Kim and Pete. <laughs> No, stop. Speaking of. I never want to stop talking about them. I I literally, I can't even explain to you how much of my brain space it takes up. Julie, I know because I'm with you every single day and it is all we talk about. It is literally, I don't think you guys understand. Like (laughs) every single person in your local Starbucks from the Upper West Side down to the West Village has heard us have this conversation because I don't know if we're capable of talking about anything else. I 
I'm not. I'm not capable of talking about anything else and I'm not capable of thinking about anything else. And that's when you know it's crazy. So Pete goes on Seth Meyers. I'm sure you all saw this. And Seth's like, I feel like I want to confirm if it's a real or a rumor. There's something that you've been reading about a lot in the press. And Pete responds, I've been wanting to talk about this because there's a lot of people I walk by. People are whispering and making eyes at me, but it's true. Pause. (laughs) I do have a show on Tubi coming out. (laughs) What a fucking Pete response. Oh my God. Why don't you just take my heart and twist it? You fucking asshole. I need some answers. Don't you feel like if it was absolutely nothing, he would have made that joke and then followed up by like, no, but in all seriousness, she's just a good friend and it's been really great getting to know her and and we have a lot of fun. And obviously my best friend Colson is best friends with, you know, Travis, who's marrying into like, don't you feel like it would have been a follow-up explanation if there was absolutely nothing? Or you think that even if there's nothing, he would have just left it at them. I, I know they're just fucking with us. I, I honestly I don't even have a I don't even have a coherent thought here because I genuinely feel like I'm being punked. Wait, let me tell you honestly though. No, like okay. My my stance, like I said on Monday's episode, is that I still think nothing's going on. However, I think even if they were literally like have never spoken in their entire lives and all of these rumors were 100% false, I think that he was going to ride this one until the cows come home. Is that the expression? Like, you're going to tell me that Seth Meyers is going to pro Pete Davidson about a potential Kim Kardashian fling and he's not going to milk that for everything that it's worth? I've never heard that saying before. Till the cows come home? Is that a your dad thing? I mean, it's probably not. I just think I haven't heard it. No, I definitely think it's the same. I mean, unless it's not. And I said, oh, I'm sure it is. Oh. <laughs> is it's just your... the thing Isabel would have said. I think that's why I say it. <laughs> it was so weird. Like, it was just like, I felt like I was recording a podcast with like my grandpa or something. <laughs> hey, that's what you can count on me for. <laughs> I feel like though with you, they could literally be having sex in front of you and you'd be like, I don't know. I just like can't see it. No, a hundred percent, like a hundred percent. There's, I, I, my brain, I'm not strong enough. I'm sorry. I, maybe I will get there. I hope that I can get there. Like I said, please God, let me be wrong. My brain is having a really hard time. I can't even visualize it. I can, I can walk down the street and two people can pass me and I can visualize them having sex. I actually think that I'm very skilled at it. Pete and Kim Kardashian, if my life depended on it, I can't imagine them having sex. It's like, there's a block. I don't know what's going on. You would think it's because I'm into him and it's like jealousy. It's not at all. Like I'm not even into him. I just don't get it. You know, it's funny. Maybe I'm into her. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what's funny though, is like, I would say before I heard any rumors of them hooking up, like if you just threw two names out and you were like, think about celebrity sex tapes. And I was like, I could see Pete and Kim. Like, I feel like I would have been able to visualize it in my head when it was a completely made up scenario. Now that there's like an air of realness to it, I can't see it at all. Okay. Well, I'm glad that that it's not just me. No, it's not just you. It's just like, I, 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 so I think what it is, it's not that I can't picture it. Cause like I can, um, I think it's so out of the realm of like, okay. You know how they say when you dream, like everybody in your dream is a face that you've seen before because your brain can't make up images that it's never seen. Yes. That's how I feel about Kim and Pete, where it's like, my brain can't comprehend that because it's never computed anything close to what that is. Okay. Yes. I think that may be what I'm experiencing as well. Yes. I really, really appreciate that. You saying that. Thank you. (laughs) I don't know, guys. I don't know what to tell you. I'm sure I'm 100% positive that next week, the week that we're off, 
Kim will come out with an official statement, like confirming it. Kim's not so much with the official statements. I mean, the divorce. When I mean, when did she announce an official statement of the divorce? Oh, yeah, she didn't, I guess. She's not so much with the official statements, I'm telling you. I don't know. You never know. You never know. I, I, listen, I don't think we'll get an official statement. I think if it's not real, it'll just fizzle out and we'll never hear about it again. And if it is, we'll get a crazy paparazzi photo that literally flips us on our head. But I will say I did read that she's not bringing Pete to uh, to Paris Hilton's wedding. <laughs> Fucking obviously not. You thought she was? I hoped. No, I, like you can't. That's, see, that's the thing. Like you're going to, oh my God, I can't even imagine a photo. Like this is what my brain is trying to picture and I can't. Kathy Hilton, Kris Jenner, Kim Kardashian, Paris, her husband Carter, and Pete Davidson in a photo. No, knock me out, Julie. It, I can't. When you put it like that, I can see it because I can see, I can see Pete and Kathy really hitting it off. Okay, well, an amazing game that we can play the entire time we're away this next week is just various scenarios, like relatively elaborate. And then the final question is, can you envision this or not? Meaning like, can your brain actually visualize this? I can envision a scenario in which Pete and Kathy hit it off so well that for the next week and a half after, Kathy texts Chris every single day asking how Pete is, but can never remember his name. So calls him by a different name every time she texts Chris. Yes. <laughs> like that's a- absolutely what would happen. Yes. Like the next morning, like the wedding was so fun. So happy you saw you there. Loved hanging out with that Patrick. <laughs> no, but wait a step further. It's not a text to Chris. If you know anything about Kathy Hilton, is it, a, it is a comment on either Kim or Chris's Instagram. And it's like, so fun seeing you. And at like Parker, I love how this was confirmed. If it was confirmed by Kathy Hilton commenting, Kim, please call me. Have some questions about you and that funny boy. (laughs) I would lose it. Lose it. Not a huge fan of his tattoos, but willing to look past XO. Like, yes. Oh my God. Wow. Dream scenario. (sighs) Okay, guys. Well, we love you very much. Like I said, we are off next week. Isabel and I will probably come on live from the hotel room and do just like a little Salt Lake City thing. We don't have advertisers, but it just feels too important. And yeah, thanks for letting us do this. We're now going to cut to mine and Isabel's winter house segment. I know this was a weird medley, but that's all she wrote. People have so many different hacks for getting a good night's sleep. And it's not to say that those don't work, but I really think you cannot discount the power of just good quality sheets and how much that can transform your sleep. I told you guys about these before, but as far as I'm concerned, Bowl and Branch are the best sheets on the market. And I think for me, the thing that like makes them so good is that they're really soft and luxurious while also being breathable. So they kind of work in all weather. And their signature sheets are their bestseller. They come in 14 versatile colors in all sizes from Twin up to California King. I have them in the color Stone. I have them in the color Mineral. I have the Waffle Blanket. I have so many things from this company. Everything is just quality. And their sheets are made with the finest 100% organic cotton and completely free from toxins. Also, they said this, but I didn't really get it until I started using the sheets. They do get softer with every wash and you'll see that. I've gotten these as gifts for so many people and every single person has been a repeat customer. And there's a 30-night worry-free guarantee. So you can wash, style, and sleep in their sheets for an entire month. And if you don't love them, you can send them right back. 
Sleep better with the softest, most breathable bedding from Bolin Branch. Get 15% off your order when you use promo code CBC at BolinBranch.com. That's Bolin Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com, promo code CBC. Exclusions apply. See site for details. So just to follow up to our conversation from last week, I now understand, based on doing some more research, listening to some podcasts, that we probably will not get much of Craig and Paige romantically on Winter House because him and Natalie broke up after the show wrapped. And I know Paige kind of alluded to something going on with them, but I don't think we'll really see anything in full force. That being said, it is my fucking drug to hear him talk about how they were kind of just ships passing in the night and they were single at the wrong time. Like inject that into my veins. I can't decide what's better if we had seen them get together towards the end of the like two weeks there, two weeks is not a long time, by the way, like we're used to summer house where they're there all summer. This is just two weeks. So we have to remember that, but I can't decide if I'd rather have seen them actually starting to become a thing or if it's just better that now we get to observe them. And every time that they have any interaction, like when they were in that corner alone, just chatting, I was like, Oh my God, we literally texted each other. So now to just like, see how they interact is so fascinating. And the way that Craig is a little bit protective and almost a hint of territorial over Paige. It's like, yep, could have seen that coming. Or maybe we wouldn't have, but now knowing what we know in hindsight, it's so fascinating. Well, I was going to say, I can't tell when I'm watching it, if what I'm seeing is accurate or if I'm looking at it through the lens of knowing what's going on, but I'm watching like, wait a second, there's a little sparkle in his eye when he looks at her, you know? Especially after he says the thing about having a crush on her for three years. I know. And also the editors did a really good job of when he came out for the, I think it was the high school night and they, you know, zoom in on her. Whereas normally it's kind of like what we say with Salt Lake City. If the Jen Shaw stuff didn't break, probably the filler scenes with her and Stu doing office work wouldn't have made it in. But it's kind of like, yeah, of course they're going to highlight the camera pan towards Paige because that's what everybody wants to see. And every little thing, even when they're all at the end of the episode in the room talking about the Andrea gossip and Amanda's crying, like seeing how Craig is standing there and kind of looking at her and the way that he's giving Paige advice about this other guy, but also maybe what's going through his head is, am I jealous? Right. You know, see, that's the thing. And obviously in the moment, he's not going to say any of that. And you can tell his confessional was clearly filmed after the fact. And so... He's doing a good job, which they always do during the confessionals of like putting themselves back in how they were in the moment, but also, you know, being realistic about the now, which he can't fully be, but it's like, I love it. Like, I, I can't even tell you how much I love it. The only downside, I guess, I don't really consider it a downside is like, it makes me downplay the seriousness between her and Andrea, but I think I would anyway, because the whole thing was cheesy from start to finish. It's cheesy and it's bullshit. He's not serious. He's not looking for a relationship. I don't see them together. I never saw it as more than like a fun fling. And I think in reality, it was more what it represented to her, especially now watching Sierra and Austin, who I think do have legitimate chemistry and longevity possibility. Comparing herself to that, I think that's where her tears and frustration come from. I don't think it has anything really to do with Andrea. And the best news is we're going to get Paige on Southern Charm. She literally posted with Leva at Pat's house for a party. So we are it's a win-win situation. 
It's just the best crossover ever. Wait, did you see her Insta story when she was in the mirror and she was like, I love like Charleston. I had the best time. But one thing that I don't understand, like nobody is down with wearing a full black outfit, like top to bottom. She was like, I literally wore it and they thought that I was going to a funeral. She was like, (laughs) everybody's in these bright pastels. She's like, and I'm, I just need to be in New York where like people are mean to your face and they're comfortable with you wearing just like all black constantly and no colors. And I was like, that is so fucking relatable. (laughs) Well, it's so relatable because we're New Yorkers. I wouldn't know what to wear if it wasn't all black. So I can't relate. I guess when we do eventually take our trip to Charleston, we're going to have to go shopping. I'm so excited for that, by the way. (laughs) Same. Okay. Also, I know this is like one of our more rogue episodes. It's not a fully fleshed out outline, but that's totally fine. I want to talk, especially because we're recording it exactly six minutes after the episode aired. I kind of like it better like this for Winterhouse. It feels appropriate. Me too. I mean, while you were setting up, I watched like the first five minutes of Watch What Happens. And Andy, one of his first questions towards Lindsay was like, last week when Austin was on Watch What Happens and he basically said, Sierra, for every answer, you were really upset. And she was like, I was so upset. I left immediately after. And he was like, I noticed that you unfollowed him on Instagram. And she was like, no, I blocked him. And Andy was like, does that mean that your relationship is done? And she was like, no, not at all. (laughs) Like it was kind of, she didn't say this, but it was kind of to the effect of like, you know what? I just needed a breather. I don't want to see his content necessarily, but she said, I'm hopeful we can come out on the other side. It'll be a different friendship. And then Andy kind of gave her the opportunity to play like Austin versus Jason. And she chose Jason for everyone, but it was just interesting. That's hilarious. Lindsay is so one of a kind because I just think that's the classic kind of Lindsay thing, but I couldn't help this episode, especially Something she said was like, I just want to be here and hang out with my best friends. And of course she's close with the other girls that are there, but I also felt like now that her thing or whatever connection with Austin is a little bit scarred from what happened last week when she said she loved him and now that Austin's so into Sierra, I almost feel like Lindsay's a little bit alone in the house because I think Paige, Sierra, and Amanda are really, really close, especially outside of the show. I know Lindsay is really close to Kyle and Amanda just from their history, but I almost feel like she feels a little bit on an island by herself and the Austin like cutting off communication kind of thing, even in that house must've stung even more because of that. She didn't have like her normal crew or even Carl to, to rely on and lean back on. Oh, totally. And it's, it's kind of interesting because out of the entire group, you know, Lindsay is one of the OGs. You would think that she would have the firmest footing and she clearly does fine. Like she can handle herself in any situation on these types of shows. But yeah, it was interesting. I I, I don't know if I was necessarily expecting this plot line for her to almost feel, this is weird to say, I don't want to say like an outsider. She's clearly not an outsider, but yes, it was definitely like she was trying to find her anchor. And I understand that because she expected going in, whether it was romantic or not, that Austin was going to be her anchor. And then all of a sudden he's not. And it's like, well, what the fuck do I do now? And not only is he not her anchor, he has like attached into someone else who she considered like probably a sub anchor. I think she was closer to Austin than she was to Sierra, but I'm obsessed, obsessed with watching Austin and Sierra when they go in that room and he's dressed as the football player and Julia's in there and he's like, yeah, we're about to hook up. Like you got to go. I, I didn't know what to do with myself. Isabel texted me. She's like, I am so turned on watching Austin and Sierra. I get it. I think they are such a hot couple. I don't know what it is about their dynamic that I just really like. I mean, how many couples do we see on shows like this? And you can be into it, but there's just something about it where I feel like I can feel it. 
I love it. I really love it. And I don't think they're together in real life, which is sad, but whatever magic they had in these two weeks was, it was it. You know, I kind of love this phenomenon because obviously your average person doesn't take a two week trip with like 15 other people that's just drinking the entire time and it's filmed. Like clearly all of this is heightened, but think about a time in your life when you were either on vacation for a few days or you were just with a small group of people, even like I'm saying, doesn't even have to be romantic. And it's almost like you felt like you lived another life and you almost are like, wow, I am bonded to those people for forever for those five days for whatever it was. That's what I feel like was happening here. You know, they all had this shared experience that at the very least they can connect on. And how quickly they knew each other. Like when they started playing that game of most likely to, I was like, they've been there for what, five, six days, maybe some of these people meeting for the very first time or having interactions in a different way, more than a day or two that they've had before. And they're able to play this game about each other. Like that's saying a lot. And that's why I think a show like this works where, like we've said in the past, it's not about singles coming to a house and hooking up. It's not about a group of people like, friends from a certain specific thing. It's literally a random assortment of people who just have chemistry in romantic ways and fighting ways and gossip ways, but also who get along. Totally, totally. And it's a good group. I, I feel like I just did an infomercial for Winterhouse. No, I was about to say, like, did you get paid for that? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> 1-800-WINTERHOUSE. Fifty high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliai was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. No, I want to talk about the Gabby and Luke thing because this was one of those scenes. No, I know, I know. It was like, really cringy to watch. At the same time though, you have to commend Luke for not doing the really easy thing, which is like leading her on. He didn't do that. He was honest. I thought he was very respectful in his response. And he just said, I'm sorry, I'm just not into it. And I felt like that was completely a fair thing to say. And I really admired her for just saying it like it was. And they, I thought that they both handled it really maturely, honestly, considering how awkward it could have been. Dare I say he learned his lesson? Maybe I don't. I don't know. But she handled it the best she could because that sucked. Because at first, when he said that, I think she her immediate reaction was like, "No, no, like I don't want anything serious. Like we can just do it, no strings attached." And he still was like, "No, I'm really sorry. Like no." It was hard to watch, but I think they did handle it really well. Honestly, the same way that we've been saying we view Austin in such a different light because of the people around him and also the environment is kind of how I feel about Luke. Maybe it's just like a much calmer, less toxic group of people. Maybe it's because Hannah's not there. Maybe it's because he can build an igloo all day, but something about Luke this season is just feeling a little different. Actually, I take that back. I felt that way right until he started pulling this shit with Julia. 
wait, when you texted me mid this episode being something, I forget exactly what it was, but something to the effect of like, huh, looks not so bad after all. It like took me out for a second because I agree with you, but it just reminded me of when we were recording Summer House, we were so not down for him. Like <laughs> It was the he- roast of Luke. Literally, we roasted him every single week on this podcast. No, I know, but even, but it, okay, honestly, when you think about it, it's not like we agreed with what Hannah was doing either. Like, neither, we just felt like neither of them were handling it well. And I'm looking at this season, I'm like, you know what? He's, he's not a bad guy. I know. It's really just how you look at it. And everyone has good seasons, bad seasons in life, too. So, of course, you have to give them that grace on the show. The Julia thing was a little bit bizarre just because. Like, yes, in theory, if she was single, he was being, I think, a normal level of flirtatious. It wasn't like she was consistently rejecting him and he was being disrespectful, but she has a boyfriend. So like whether or not you heard through the grapevine that they were on and off, it just felt a little bit weird. I know. And I think it really rubbed her the wrong way. Not necessarily because I don't think she has a crush on him. I think she probably does, but because he was willing to go there and almost put her in an uncomfortable position. She didn't like that, understandably. And it didn't go the way he probably expected to or the way that it has gone in the past. Well, no, but the irony of the whole thing is that I don't even think she cared about him doing it for the sake of her boyfriend. I think she was like, I just got through this with Gabby. Like, we just solved it. Can you please not make me look bad? Like, even when he wanted to go upstairs to have the conversation, she was like, the optics of that are not going to be so good. Can we have the talk right here? And so I think she was kind of like, I do not need you to make Gabby mad at me when this time I'm not doing anything type of situation. Because last time, okay, she was. This time, it was really all on him. But at the same time, I think if she really was into Luke, and I think if she broke up with her boyfriend the next day, she would go for it because I think she doesn't actually care that much about Gabby. That's just the vibe I'm getting. Oh, wait, let me be super clear. I honestly don't think she cares so much about Gabby and I don't think Gabby cares that much about her. Like, I don't think that the friendship is as strong as it initially was presented to us, but I do think it's not a caring thing. I think it's just like a not wanting to look bad thing. You know what yeah. I mean? Yes. E- easy for her to do, especially because there's no other option. So she might as well make herself look better in the moment too. kill two birds with one stone. Right, right. I really appreciate this side of Sierra that we're seeing and- the way that she's being so open about her fear of her feelings towards Austin. It's like very, it's very endearing. You know, I, obviously I wish that this wasn't the case for her, meaning I wish it was, didn't feel so difficult to open up at the same time though. I'm really glad we're watching her kind of navigate this. I think the confessionals are really surprising me in this season because it's a lot of them individually, like digging into their past and their personal issues and relationships and it gives us so much context, but also they're diving so deep, especially because it's a lot of things that they're not talking about while they're drunk in the house. But it also explains like how we ended up here, why Paige feels upset and why she's crying and how Sierra jumps to certain thoughts or feelings. Like, I don't know. I just really like that contrast of them being drunk in the house and trying to figure it out. But we also get like a deep dive into their emotions and like a therapy session in the confessionals. Oh, it totally was. It was cathartic for every single one of them. And you can, and you can see that. I mean, I think with Sierra, she opened up about the issues with her dad on Summer House. They did the flashback here. She talked about it with the producer. And I just think that for her, you know, the thing is, it's really easy for somebody to recognize that the vulnerability thing is difficult. It's a lot harder for them to like 
so clearly articulate exactly what the cause is. And I think that what makes Sierra, in my opinion, so enjoyable is that she's incredibly self-aware. So like she's the first one to point out her blockages. You don't feel like you need to psychoanalyze her. Whereas for so many of these other cast members, specifically so many of the men, you feel like you have to do the psychoanalyzing because they are not self-aware enough. Right. It's true. I love it. It, it makes it, it makes the show truly. Okay. Can I tell you it's what the fuck is the analogy that I'm, <laughs> well, I'm trying to think of the analogy to something on Housewives where it's like, it's you, you just naturally care less because you know the outcome. And that's how I feel with the Andre and Paige stuff. I know I just said that earlier, but like, I don't care about the fight between Lindsay and Amanda. I don't care, but it is interesting to watch it go down because this is the kind of stuff, like this is why Amanda is there because it also plays into the tensions with Paige. And I think Lindsay swooping in to tell Paige maybe before Amanda did is a whole power play of like trying to be a little bit of a better friend or make her feel like she's on more even turf with Amanda and when it comes to Paige. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think it was just like a drunken mess, but it was interesting and it made the story. And by the way, I'm glad she knows it because watching her on this date get all like googly eyed at him when they're on a, a sled, but you really know that he literally could not care less and he was almost peer pressured into doing this. Like she has to know. I love Paige to death. I would never want her to look back and be like, wow, I look so fucking stupid for more than one date. Oh, for sure. And by the way, like, I don't mean to make Andrea out to be this villain. It's not like he did something terrible. He just like was being a little bit of a fuck boy. He had, he had that written all over him. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, was, it was for the better for everyone. I think that the real thing this highlighted is that Amanda, I think, and you can tell me if you agree with this, I think Amanda is one of the more empathetic Bravo personalities we have seen because I feel like her tears when she's crying for Paige are are very real. I don't find it to be performative at all. I think she really feels the emotions of her friends. I agree. I, I've seen that consistently with her on everything. And it's not always just with Paige. It's kind of with everybody that she cares about. I just think the whole Andrea and Paige thing also took a turn because everyone was sort of comparing and felt like they had to be on the exact same path as Austin and Sierra were, which was not fair because they naturally had so much more of a connection. But here they are kind of standing around watching them go on a double date with Kyle and Amanda, who are basically married at this point. It was like, okay, so what are we doing here? But if Sierra and Austin had never happened and everything was just kind of all equal, I don't think we would have ever thought anything of it, nor would they have. And Andrea would never have asked her on a date. Right. That's what I'm saying. The pressure from them ended up actually being a good thing because it brought like the truth, quote, the truth to light more rapidly than it probably would have. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a great episode. I just, it's like everything is good, but if I'm being honest, it's Sierra and Austin and Paige and Craig. That's like really where my head's at. I know. I just want to watch it all. I'm so fascinated because these are people we've watched individually and really analyzed and now they're together and oh oh I love it I fucking love it wait, so much wait the one other thing that I forgot to say is the reason that I don't really pay the Jason and Lindsay stuff too much mind is because I'm telling you I'm 100% sure that she's with Carl or 99.9% sure that she's no, with Carl I'm 100%, 100% so even tonight when she was on watch what happens and like they were playing the game you could tell she was saying really kind things about Jason, but obviously she's kind of like biting her tongue because 
I think she's dating Carl Radke. No, and by the way, five minutes before we saw her say she's in love with Austin, I think they're cute to hook up, but I don't really see like a chemistry between them forming. It's kind of just fun. And a little bit of like, hey, we're the only two left. We're having chatty conversations. He's trying really hard to flirt with her, and it sort of just falls into their laps, no pun intended. Yes, exactly. Anything else that you would like to mention? I think that's it. There was a little bit of a teaser of Salt Lake City of Lisa Barlow on the phone with her six lawyers on the bus ride. And I literally am so excited. Like, you better believe at Sunday night at 8 p.m. we were sitting our asses down and watching that episode. Like, I don't care. As well, you cannot pay me to go out. We are going to sit in our hotel room, make Julie watch it with us in the middle of us so that she can't be on her phone and just like, like, just, I don't even know, revel in every second. We have to sit down at 745 so that she can watch the last 15 minutes and then go straight into this episode. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. So like we said on Tuesday's episode, technically we are off this coming week, but I think that we're going to try to do just like a literal 20 minute debrief on Salt Lake City, even if it's on one computer in the same hotel room, in the same hotel room, because it just feels like it would be sacrilegious, no pun intended to not. Yeah. And we'll do a bunch of stories and I can't wait for everybody to just collectively freak out. I know. I can't wait. Okay. Well, we love you guys so much and we will see you not this coming week. Well, maybe a little bit as well and I, but for the other episodes, but the week after, thank you for letting us do this. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract, and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like, you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide.